I'm Alex Green, and this is Stereo Embers, the podcast. Check this out. Let's go for a ride, my car. We'll drive out to look the stars. Something tells me this could go far. So let's start with the ride, my car. song called Ride by my guest today on the program, Jen Vix. Let me tell you a little bit about Jen Vix. Look, this isn't breaking news, but art saves our lives, right? I mean, didn't Stella Adler say something like, life crushes the soul and art is there to remind you that you have one? And didn't Bukowski say something like, the difference between art and life is that art is more bearable? And truthfully, what would you have done without the Smiths? Or your high school drama department? or the Museum of Modern Art, or the Rocky Horror Picture Show, or The Catcher in the Rye, or Sixteen Candles, or Seeing the Cure live for the first time. I mean, let's face it, without that stuff, you and me, we would have been lost. And I mean utterly lost. I remember when the girl I loved in college was breaking up with me, I had this thought that everything would be okay because I had the Trash Can Sinatra's Cake album in my car. And when I say album, I mean the vinyl. And I was nowhere near a record player, and I didn't have one in my car, so I couldn't physically play it. But just knowing I had it made everything feel like it was going to be okay. And that's the thing about art. It makes us feel like it's all going to be all right. Now, that speaks to how we receive art. But what about creating art? Well, anytime you have those feelings that life is terrible and things are hard and your heart is broken and the world is painful— Creating art is the way to soothe the soul. It's a way to make the world make sense again. It's a way of assembling our thoughts and ideas and figuring things out from the inside. As Tolstoy once observed, art is not a handicraft. It is the transmission of feeling the artist has experienced. What I'm trying to get across here is that if you're an artist, your art is a port in the storm. It is the safest place around. But... What if you're an artist and your art is no longer a safe place? What if, I don't know, it is the storm? Sounds hellish, right? Well, that's exactly what happened to Jen Vix. It's her story, so I'll let her explain it. But in the meantime, here's some background on the Rhode Island-born musician. Over the course of her remarkable career, Jen Vix has put out five fabulous albums. 
With a voice that's soulful, stirring, and sonorous, Vix's music is dark, beguiling, angular, and melodic. A big fan of everyone from Wire to Interpol, Vix's sound is a perfect mix of electro-pop, trip-hop, alternative, and modern new wave. In many ways, her music is uncategorizable, but I suppose that's a category in itself. Over the course of her career, Jen Vix has collaborated with the Psychedelic Fur's original guitar player John Ashton, Reeves Gabriels of David Bowie's Tin Machine, Marco Peroni of Adam and the Ants, and Andy Anderson of The Cure. A producer, a performer, a singer, a songwriter, and now a member of the Boston outfit Positive Negative Man, Jen Vix is a true artist with a true artist's creative spirit. Her splendid synth-pop-laden EP titled Six is out now, and I'd highly recommend you check it out immediately. Well, I mean, after this interview. Look, Jen Vix's biography is one that's powered by self-reliance, independence, and inner strength. You'll see when you meet her. Check out this conversation with me and Jen Vix right here on Stereo Embers, the podcast. It hasn't been easy, to be perfectly honest with you. Um, I don't know if anyone mentioned this to you, but uh, previously, but I am a, I'm a survivor. I'm a, I have, I've been diagnosed with post-traumatic stress disorder and um, I almost died two times about four and a half years ago. So my career was on hold for a little while. Um, it was so bad at one point that I couldn't even listen to music. I mean, never mind recording music. I could, I would stare at the wall and do puzzles because I was so traumatized from going through what I've been through. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm just trying to get through each day as best as I can, you know? The, so. when, when that was happening to you, did you know what was going on? Did you know that it was, that it was a PTSD situation or did it take you a while to identify it? Um, after the medical incident, well, I had previously been abused before that. I was in an abusive relationship. But then the medical incident occurred, well, dual medical incidents occurred. And, yeah, I pretty much knew what was going on. So I sought help for it, and they confirmed it. So, um, yeah, it's been a rough road, but I keep on trucking. You know, it's all I can do. I don't give up. I, I don't want to give up. But some days are easier than others. You know what I mean? I know, I know. And and our audience is, you know, they're all artistic, sensitive people. Um, and I mm-hmm. think many of them can probably relate to what you're talking about. So even though it's painful, it's probably also incredibly helpful. Well, yeah, that's why I talk about it instead of keeping it in. Because I figure if somebody sees me surviving it, getting through it, it might inspire them to do the same. Exactly, exactly. And I think that's, you know, very encouraging to... to um, to see someone like yourself, you know, sort of not, I don't want to say embrace it, but at least meet it head on and understand what Mm -hmm. it is and try to get around the other side of it. Yeah. It's a difficult situation. I'm not going to lie to you. Um, Some days I wake up extremely anxious and some days I don't, but it's, it's cyclic, you know, and I think the main, the main feature of it is there are triggers. There are things that can trigger you like certain words or certain 
visuals that will bring back a memory. I guess the best way I can describe what I'm going through is it's kind of like having a DVD or a Blu-ray player without the remote control. And it just goes on in your brain at times when you don't expect it to. So that's what's, what having a flashback is like. And it does come through, um, you know, a couple of times a week. It's, it's not that you're so uncontrollable that you can't get a grip on it. It's just uncomfortable. It's very uncomfortable. And, you know, you don't really want to be reminded of these things. Like, for example, if I drive past the hospital, it's very triggering to me. So I have to kind of, you know, look the other way. Right. Um, but yeah, so I'm out here, you know, I, I keep doing what I'm doing. I'm trying to survive this. Um, I keep on going. What else can I do? That's, listen, that's what we do. Is there a, is there comfort or solace in creation? Sometimes, yes, and then sometimes, no. Um, if I'm having a good day and I'm really feeling well and uh, the songs aren't triggering me, then yeah, but it's, you know, I'm, I'm dealing with a lot of memories when in my music, so it can be a little triggering sometimes. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't mean to be such a, uh, such a wimp, you know, I guess sometimes I feel like I'm a wimp, but then people say, well, no, you're not a wimp because you survived it. But yeah, I mean, it just, it depends on the day, really. If I had nightmares the night before, it, it just depends on how I'm feeling. But, you know, sometimes I push through it anyway, and I just keep going. Like, for example, I've been recording uh, and producing an album for Positive Negative Man, a band from Boston. They're a great post-punk band. I also sing with them uh, sometimes, which helps me a lot because it gets me back up on stage, you know, and it's good for my mental health. So, um, you know, like a couple of nights ago, I wasn't feeling that great, but I pushed through it and I got their mixes done and I felt really great afterwards because I accomplished it. So sometimes, you know, you just have to push through it. Um, it's really, again, all I can do is just keep trying. I, I absolutely refuse to give up. That's the thing. I, I have a tattoo on my left arm that says never give up. And it might be cliche to some, but it's not cliche to me. I wake up every day and I see it and it helps me to go on. So, I mean, I've just been through too much shit to be perfectly right. honest with you. Yeah, yeah. 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 I mean, it's been a shit show. <laughs> but you're still here. Mm hmm. Which, which is I am. all that matters. I mean, I, I, don't think that 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 you're wimpy at all and i wonder if you if you sort of say that to yourself is that like a form of just self-criticism because it isn't true there's nothing wimpy about having um you know ptsd at all there's a stigma and you know a lot of people can't really deal with it i mean I, i'm what they call high functioning anyway um but yeah i mean you know, you get low self-esteem issues when you go through stuff like this. Sometimes you, you feel low. You feel like, oh, you should be, I should be doing more today. Or if I, I guess that what it is is some days if I don't do something, I feel like I didn't accomplish anything, and then I kind of beat myself up for it. Uh. But I think a lot of people can relate to that. So I think that's really the gist of it. But, again, I, I'm trying my best to keep going. I... I don't want to give up on music and I have no plans to give up on music. And that's that. Can you explain why music? So was music one of the triggers? Is that what, is that the difficulty with creation? 
Well, at first, it was a major trigger because of the memories associated with it. Like, for example, <laughs> this is kind of strange, but I'm going to just come out with it. Um, I would go into the grocery store and there would be a song on the speaker system that would bring back a, a very bad memory for me. And I would start shaking, and like literally shaking in the grocery store. But I would keep fighting it and keep shopping. And, you know, it's tough. But I mean, I'm not at that point now. At one point, I was so bad I was catatonic. I could barely speak. It's It's been absolutely terrifying. I wouldn't wish what I've gone through on my worst enemy. I wouldn't wish what I've gone through on someone who hates me, really. It's, it was that bad. Is it something that you have to sort of always be, I don't know, like like on a daily basis working on? or Like what do you do in terms of a coping mechanism for when there are no triggers? When you're feeling okay, how do you also monitor that feeling? It's hard to explain because, well, it's sort of like generalized anxiety. It's always there in the background. Ah. And and some right and sometimes it's just worse and sometimes it's not it's it's always there it, it's always there they say that it never goes away entirely although I will say I mean uh, all music stuff aside I have heard of treatment programs such as MAPS where they do psychedelic treatments for you know they use psychedelic drugs for people in my position but unfortunately I live in a state where that is not happening. So um, I would definitely try that if it were an option. Um, but again, I would say at this point, I'm medium to high functioning. Um, I've been much worse. And again, it's not just that I've, I, I mean, I'm not trying to play the victim here. I'm just trying to explain what I've been through. Right. I don't see myself as a victim. I, don't, I try not to have a victim mentality through the whole thing. I'm just a person who's been through a lot of crap. Um, I am a child abuse survivor. I was homeless on the streets of New York City by age 14 until I was 17 or 18 years old. Um, I've been in more than a few uh, really bad relationships where I was beaten and screamed at. So, you know, it's been been constant. But I really also think the positive side is that because of all this shit that I went through... um, writing these lyrics and, and writing music kind of helped me through it. Um, you know what I mean by that? Yeah. And that's what I was trying to figure out is that if, if the process of creation is a kind of bomb um, for that kind of raw feeling, and, and it sounds like at its best, it is. Right. Up until I was medically ill, up until I almost died, it was definitely like therapy for me. It was a coping mechanism. Right. I, music healed me. And then after, when I was in the hospital, when I got back from the hospital, I was so taken up that I had to take some time away from it. Um, but I didn't take that much time. I would say about six to eight months away from it. And um, then I worked with, the, unfortunately, late Andy Anderson, poor thing, oh. passed away recently. Uh, he was the drummer of The Cure. And uh, he's been in a bunch of bands. Um, that was pretty tough to deal with, but you know, it is what it is. There's nothing I can do about it. I miss him. Um, that wasn't easy either. 
No, but, um, and, and so I, I keep think, on talking. Well, you know? yeah, and I and I think that. And by the way, you know, for our listeners out there, for an artist to not create from six to eight months, that's like an eternity. Well, I couldn't even listen to music, Alex. Right, right. It was so bad. I would stare at a wall and cry. It was really weird. Um, but again, I, I'm not trying to play the victim here. I'm just trying to relate my experience uh, of what I went through. I don't. I don't. I don't consider myself a victim. I'm a survivor. Right. Right. I'm a and, survivor. And to survive is is someone who has strength. So um, that's well, something. Thank you. It's true, and and that's something that that needs to be recognized. Is that the strong survive, Jen? Thank you. Some days, you know, I really think, oh, you're weak. You should give up. Blah 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 blah. But then, you know, the r- rationale kicks in. The logic kicks in. And says, no, don't give up, don't give up, just keep on going. And um, it's been great working with Ray Walden. I'll tell you, that's that's something that helped me tremendously. It gave me a lot of hope. Oh, well, he he is just he's, he's just one of, the, one of the greats. He is, and I feel honored to be able to work with him. Yeah, I, I it, feel it gave the same. me tremendous hope. Yeah, I mean, you're in very good hands with that character. He's yes. such a good guy. Um, oh yes. You know, just, I mean, he's not just a great publicist, but he's a great human being. And that's very important to me. Yeah, because he gives a shit about people. Mm-hmm. Without question. <laughs> it's very simple. Without question. You know, um, I'm yes. curious to know, speaking of that, I'm, I'm curious to know if you, having gone through this, if you looked at the people around you and said, I need to surround myself with really healthy, strong people, or were those people yes. already there? Did it make you, did it make you sort of examine that? Yeah, it was a light bulb moment. I really started to wake up from a, being in a fog and I realized that I needed to be with better people and, you know, in the company of people who are not uh, toxic because I have been around quite a few toxic people and I've kicked them out of my life entirely. That was something I had to do. I had no choice. I couldn't take it anymore. You know, I just couldn't take it. But so that, that did happen. Yes. I put my foot down. I, I became, um, calm assertive, I guess would be the expression. I I refuse to take it from anyone. My, my, uh, my bullshitometer is, full scale right now <laughs> at this point yeah and you know i'm not i'm not having any crap from anyone or if the kids say i'm not having it you know <laughs> i'm not having it right so yeah jen dix is not having it and and i'm not having it from anyone if somebody gives me any shit online i block them immediately if anyone mouths off at me in person i tell them to go ask themselves and to shut up you know, I'm not, I used to be a far more flexible person. I, my fuse used to be a lot longer than it is now. It's, my fuse is the size of my pinky fingernail now. Mm. And um, it's going to stay that way. I'm not going to tolerate any crap from anyone. I can't afford to. I can't. I, I just need to keep on going and not take any shit. Well, I want your autobiography to be called Jen Vix is not having it. Right. <laughs> I like that. I like that a lot. Because I'm not having it. I'm not having it. Don't imitate Jenna Marbles now. Because I'm not having it. Right. Exactly. But, right. you know, I, I do think that, you know, it, it's one of those things where you sort of, and I think as we get older, 
I think that our our wick for patience gets smaller anyway. And I, oh, and I, you know, and I think it's good. I think it makes our lives more efficient because we don't have people around us that are bad. We don't do things that are wastes of time. Um, right. We become better at living our lives. There's more efficacy there. Yes, that is a certain. That's um, that's for sure. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, just you know, when you when you look back at your life, and and this show is really all about moving forward. This show is about the the creative moment in your life right now. But it, it, mm-hmm. it's always fun to kind of look back and compare the creative moment of your youth with the creative moment of now. And when we do that, what do you see? What, what is the big difference, do you think, for you, uh, Genvix now versus Genvix 1983? What What's the well, difference for you? Well, in 1983, I was pretty teen. But um, I, didn't, I didn't really start until late 1984. And I was, I would say back then, I, I played a little bit of piano. I played drums. I've actually played drums since I was three years old. Um, it, my father, my late father was a musician. And um, even though I didn't really know him very well, I think that the music bug was passed down to, to me through him. There, well, there are also musicians on the other side of the family. So, okay, I played drums since age three, played piano since about age five or age six, but I'm all self-taught on instruments. I've never taken a lesson. Back then, I would say primarily I was a singer, and I was in bands, and um, now I'm, I'm a songwriter. I'm not just a singer. I play all instruments. I don't play rhythm guitar. I suck at that. play lead guitar, drums. <laughs> bass guitar right yeah i'm not a rhythm guitar player i just my hands are small it's difficult for me to form chords i even tried to play on a so-called girl guitar couldn't really do it um so but yeah i learned over the years the difference is i learned how to write pre-choruses key changes um you know I, i learned how to write in different time signatures and back when i started out i was just a singer you know primarily so I, you know, I was in bands. I was in a few bands. I was actually in a one-off band with Nicole Willis and with Adam Horowitz from the Beastie Boys. He played bass in the band that we played live at a club called Danceteria in New York City. That was a lot of fun. And I would say that was a pivotal moment for me. And that's when I knew that I wanted to do this uh, as a career. And but, what year was that? Oh, yeah. Uh, that was late 1984, and I was 17 years old. So I'm 52 now. I don't really feel like I'm 52, to be perfectly honest with you. I, I don't. Um, I, I feel like I'm in my 30s, which even though after all the crap I've gone through, I just I don't feel like a 50-something-year-old person. I guess I have the lack of patience of a 50-year-old person. Like, I don't take any crap <laughs> from people, but I don't have any children. I have albums. You know, I decided not to have kids. Um, if I can barely take care of myself, how the hell am I going to take care of children? Yeah. So, yeah, being a musician, um, you know, I'm not knocking anybody who wanted to have kids. I think that's great. But I just wasn't cut out for it. Um, but, yeah, so the big difference is now I, you know, over the years I learned how to write songs. I learned song structure. I, I wrote a song in 9-8. And I'll tell you that that shocked me. <laughs> I didn't I didn't expect that to come out of me. And that was something that I did with, with Reeves Gabrels, who's now the guitar player of The Cure. Um, we did that right before he joined The Cure. And um, I wrote the song, and then he played guitar on it. That was a lot of fun. 
that was that was a that was a moment that um that was before I got sick. That was a moment that was really in, important and fun for me. But so yeah, the difference is I was a singer back then, and now I am a songwriter, a producer, and a recording engineer. When you think of the of the trajectory of your career, I mean, does it make sense that you headed this direction, or did you have a different plan? Uh, it makes sense that I headed in this direction because um, my the recording engineer that I was working with for many years moved to uh, the Azores. So I had to learn to do it myself because if I didn't, I would have had to shell out an awful lot of money. So, you know, financially it made sense for me to learn how to do it. I took a lesson from someone at Motown and I took a lesson from uh, Robert Leonardo before he moved to the Azores. So yeah, it just made sense for me to do it again because uh, of finance and also, it would give me the freedom to record whenever I felt like it. And I could also record for other people. So, you know, on every level, it just made sense to do it. And um, actually, I will say this. Uh, in, in the 80s, I sat down at my first analog mixing desk with a recording engineer, and I definitely had an interest in it. But I didn't really start to learn how to record analog until the mid took about four to six weeks to learn the ropes and I did it and I'm glad that I did it because it's a huge help and another thing that sucks is um, streaming music took over it's great for the listener but it's not good for indie musicians because it took away 95% of my income right yeah I mean it's not even worth it for me to do uh, demo I mean not demo but uh, promotional CDs at this point it's not cost effective so a lot of things have changed too over the years I mean I've seen so many changes you know so as they say shit is different now yeah, yeah. Oh, I mean, yeah. well how how does a musician make a living now because it mm -hmm. you know the life's blood of of a musician's you know income was their music and now you know, it, it's no longer something that people pay for. So how do you make money? How do you survive as an artist? Well, I was making a good living at music until streaming happened. Right. Now I have, I, I have, let's see, I have four jobs. I'm a musician. I perform live. I'm a recording engineer and I have a side job at home at night on the computer. And no, it's not something small. It's not sketchy, so uh, it's legitimate. But um, so, yeah, I mean, most musicians at this point, um, most people are playing live, selling merchandise to earn the bulk of their income. Right. Um, you know, you can make some, you can only make so much on YouTube and on Spotify. Um, I make, I think, 0.04 cents per play on Spotify or something like that. Jeez. Um, I, you know, I used to make, where is, all right, let's put it this way. For what I'm making on Spotify right now, if I were selling albums, I would have made, last month I would have made 40000 to $50,000 for what I did on Spotify. So, right. So it's, you know, it's tough. So all I can do is just play live and um, sell merchandise, which is the plan. 
Um, but hopefully more people will check out my stuff on Spotify and on YouTube. I actually have a video. I have a new video on YouTube right now for the first single off of my new EP, which the single is called Ride. And uh, that video is on YouTube on my channel. And I'm also shooting another music video in May for Rover, which earlier was online as a demo. And then I thought, well, this is a pretty good track. I think I'll do a real version of it. And I played guitar on it, and it's on the upcoming EP. So that's going to be out on May 3rd. So that's the plan, is just to keep on going and to have this promoted by Ray and to do another video and to play live again. And like I said, I've been playing with Positive Negative Man in Boston. I would say I'm definitely a band member. Um, and I'm going to do my own thing. And I thought... Are you, how do you push yourself creatively? Or do you even need to? Do you just sit down and create? Or do you, is it something that, a discipline that you need to sort of gather up some steam to start doing? Or, or do you just do it? It's spontaneous. It's, it's like spontaneous combustion with the drummer, the <laughs> spinal tap, <laughs> you know, boom, right. It's spontaneous. It just happens. I don't know how else to explain it. I don't sit down and say, hey, I'm going to write a song today. It doesn't work that way. It just comes to me. Like I, I might have a dream about something or I'll see something um, in a film or I'll read something and it'll, it'll inspire me to create and then it just happens. So my my studio used to be upstairs in this house that I'm living in, and I brought it down to my workstation. So while I'm logged in at my job, if the moment strikes, I can turn to my left, turn the computer on. I've got everything right here, and I just start recording. It's yeah. really spontaneous. There are I've done so many interviews with authors who will say, oh, I get up at 6, and I write from 7 to 12. And, and I always, right. yeah, I'm not scheduled like that. Right. No. Yeah. Yeah. I don't get that. Never I, have been. Me either. And, 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 and I'm a writer and I can't listen. I probably would have a lot more books out if I did that, but I just can't do mm -hmm. that. And I think, you know what I call that? Well, I got, okay. First, I'm not going to knock the people who do that. Right? I don't want to sure. knock them. That's their way of doing things. But for me, that would be forced. Right. I would feel that I'm forcing myself to do something. And then I think it would be mediocre if I forced myself. And there are, there are, you know, I'll tell you, there was a time period before I got sick where I recorded in four or five years. I recorded over 100 tracks. I have a lot of unreleased music, but I go through it with a fine tooth comb, you know, and I'm very picky about what I decide to work on. I have demos and what I... What I want to re-record is up to, you know, is this up to snuff? Is this up to the standard that I have for myself? So I have a lot of music sitting around, um, you know, if I want to work with it. But yeah, I mean, I've written new stuff as well. And it just, I do it when the moment strikes.
songs and you think okay, this is a keeper what is it that you're hearing like what when when you decide a song has the the gen vix x factor what what is the common element that's there okay there are two things number one does it get stuck in my head is there a hook oh. number two how does it, does it does it excite me does it make me feel you know does my skin go crawly do i get tingly feelings if, if something you know if something feels right, it just feels right. If it doesn't feel right, it doesn't feel right. And then like Derek from CD Baby said, it's either hell yes or no. It's kind of black and white, even though I think that having a black and white personality is probably not a good thing. Um, in music, for me, if it's right, it's right. And if it's not, it's not. And I remember a quote from the late Joe Meek. He said, you know, if something, if it, if it works, do it. And if it doesn't work, don't do it. Something along those lines. Although Joe Meek did murder his landlady, though, which <laughs> is you know, not a great thing, but I do think he was a genius. He was a, he was a genius who happened to murder his landlady. Yeah. Um, and, oh, by the way, what's even weirder is Joe Meek uh, died the day before I was born. Oh, it's so weird. Good God. The whole thing is so weird. Yeah, I know. It's very strange. Um, but, um, yeah, it's either hell yes or no. I can I can usually tell within the first two or three minutes of listening to something. Is, is, does this represent me or not? And I'll tell you, this time I went out on a limb and I did something I've never before done. And that was I decided to start my EP with a pop song. I decided, hey, you know, things are getting a little too gloomy and gothic. And I don't I, I don't dislike goth music. I, I would say I'm gothic influenced. But I'm not a goth. I don't consider myself a goth. And I, I don't like being pigeonholed 
as a goth because that's not all I am. I like funky music. I like 70s music. I like 80s music. I like current music. I like a lot of different stuff, and I'm inspired by all, all of those things. So that's another thing. I, you know, I wanted to do something that was a little more um, in the light. You know, I've, I've, I've had some music critics say that my music is not gloomy. It's Twilight, which I thought was really cool. Yeah. I liked that. That's I mean, great. I have had my darker moments, but that's not all I am. So I wanted to release a pop song. It felt right to me. Um, it's an alternative pop song. You know, it's it's about uh, a date where I'm I'm out on a date with someone, but and I'm driving my car, but I'm not a human being. I'm an alien, and I'm going to abduct my date with his permission or her permission, of course, because <laughs> you never know who's in the passenger seat. In the video, you have no idea if the passenger is male or female mm. because I never show them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so right. So, but yeah, I just I wanted to do something different. Yeah, and I, and I think that's exciting, and I, and I think that the, I mean, to me, what's really interesting is from a creative standpoint, is that you you wrote the song, and then later on you'll go back and you'll say, I'm talking about the hundred songs that you have, right? And you'll go back, yeah. and, okay, not this one, not this one. But I, I'm fascinated by the idea that that you actually completed the song not knowing if it would be something you would keep later. So there's there's a creative side, and then you get this editorial right. side that right. comes later on. So you're wearing two hats and, and you've become very good at, at distinguishing those two, it seems. Thank you very much. Well, Ride, Ride is a relatively new song. I just really wanted to write a pop song. But yeah, I mean, I have stuff that just, you know, I, I don't know how to explain it. I just had a creative burst. It wasn't mania. I haven't been diagnosed with manic depression not to knock anybody who has it i know people who have it and it's extremely difficult for them um i just went through a really major creative burst before i became ill and um i don't know how to explain it it just happened when i don't know when you when you got sick did you did you feel it coming or did it come from out of nowhere oh i felt it coming and here's the really the really effed up thing about this is that I went to many doctors and I told them, I said, I know I'm dying. I know that I'm ill. I, I used what they call Dr. Google. You know, a lot of people say, oh, you shouldn't Google your symptoms. But in my case, it saved my life because the doctors were sending me home and saying, oh, you're not sick. You're just bloated. Go home, you know, watch your salt intake. And um, I wasn't just bloated. I had a gallbladder not only full of stones, but it had it started turning septic on me. And it got to the point where I could not eat more than 400 calories a day maximum. And I started to develop wasting syndrome. So basically what happened was my body was cannibalizing itself. Ugh. And I, I, it got to the point where I had to phone a surgeon here in Newport, Rhode Island, crying on the phone, begging them to take me in. And this one surgeon said, yeah, okay, come on in. And when I got there and he saw me, he said, it's a good thing that you're here because if you had gone another two weeks, you would have died. So there was another incident after that that I'd rather not talk about. Um, it, it wasn't self-inflicted. It, it was something to do with my breathing. It was very, very frightening. Um, 
But yeah, I knew I was dying. I knew, and, and doctor after doctor after doctor, they sent me home. And you know what I think, in all honesty, I think it's because I'm a woman. You know, it's like they didn't take me seriously because I'm a chick. I have, I have a friend. Well, I have an old friend who went through a similar situation. He, he had a gallbladder problem, but his hadn't gone septic. He went in. Uh, the first time he went to the emergency room, they sent him immediately for a CT scan. And he was scheduled for surgery within one week. It took these doctors three or four months. So I'm sitting on the sofa in the house for three or four months, dying, not able to eat, not able to eat. And they didn't take me seriously. And, and that, you know, there's something really messed up with the medical system in this country when they're doing that to people. Um, I had crappy health insurance at the time, but it doesn't matter. I still had health insurance. But whether you have health insurance or not, no one should be treated that way. You know, Hippocratic Oath. You know what I mean? Hippocratic Oath. But they're not, some people are not paying attention to that. And I, when I'm sitting at home having to Google my symptoms, that's not right. We have a really effed up healthcare system in this country. Um, but yeah, I mean, also that's another thing. Being a woman in the music industry is a, a cluster, you know, it, it's funny you said that because I wanted to ask you about that, but for one, just to put a button on the, on the medical thing, it's not as though you mm -hmm. were coming in with some kind of medical anomaly. I mean, I'm sure they'd seen someone, right. With, right? So it's bizarre to me that they missed that. Exactly. They were just jerks. They didn't take my word for it. You know, they had that doctor. That I'm better than you, Doctor Ego. You know, I have a degree and you do not. You yeah. don't know what you're talking about. You're just a common woman. You don't know what you're talking about. Well, guess what, Doctor Idiot? I do know what I'm talking about, and I know what I'm feeling in my body. I could not walk up a flight of. I was so bloated and sick. I couldn't walk up a flight of stairs without being winded because I was so weak. And it just it got to the point where the bloat turned into. I turned, I started becoming emaciated. Right. You know, it was crazy. It was crazy. And I'll be honest with you. Again, I, I wear my heart on my sleeve. I, I sleeve. I'm a very direct person. I don't bullshit anyone. I have no reason to bullshit anyone ever. And I've been called tactless because of that. But I try, I try not to be tactless. But <laughs> um, I went to a gastroenterologist. You know, I went to a specialist. Now, I went to two specialists, and they palpated my stomach, and they said, oh, you're just bloated. You're consuming too much sodium. Go home. I went to the ER four or five times. Four or five times. And they sent me home. And they acted, they acted as if I was an idiot. I don't get it. I don't get it. I mean, how bad is our medical system when somebody is, is drop, about to drop dead and they send you home? <laughs> they don't even scan you. You know, I, all, all I really needed was an ultrasound. I had to beg for a frigging ultrasound, man. That's stupid. Well, it's, it's, it's shocking. It's shocking to me. And I know that the, that the medical industry is riddled with mistakes like this that actually don't end uh, with Jen right. Vick surviving, right? There's a lot of stories yeah. where, where it goes the other way. I, I wonder 
what you said about about being a woman and feeling really marginalized. I wonder if in the future you would prefer a female doctor. Uh, that's what I did. Yeah. <laughs> I went and got a female I went and got a female GP immediately. Not because I'm a sexist, because no. I'm not. I think all people all races and all people I hate racism, I hate sexism. It can all go F itself. Okay. People are people like depression outside, you know? And but the the reason I got a female GP is because uh these male doctors just they weren't helping. Although I will say the surgeon was male. The surgeon was male, but the women at the front desk, the women who answered the telephone and heard me crying, were the ones who talked him into it. They got him on the phone for me. Um, I've been in situations where, okay, I had a situation last night where being a recording engineer as a woman, you know, it's not easy because sometimes you deal with male musicians that, or rather who say things, you know, or they'll sit there. Okay. I was trying to explain to them why I did a certain thing on their recording and I explained it to them. And then after the discussion, my, another person in the band had to explain it to them from a male perspective. And right, and but I don't, you know, I'm not angry at the guys. Maybe they just didn't understand me. But last night I went through this feeling like, wow, there's some mansplaining going on perhaps here. Like I didn't, I wasn't taken seriously. A man had to explain the very same thing that I had to explain an hour ago. You know, I'm not knocking my boys. They're great guys. I mean, but it's just, I'm so tired of this. I'm tired of people not taking women seriously. I'm tired of it. It's exhausting. It's frigging exhausting, mentally and physically. And it almost killed me. And so, there you go. Sexism almost killed me. (laughs) That's your second book. To put it in a nutshell, right. (laughs) Sexism doesn't just suck. It almost made me drop dead. Yeah, yeah. It, you know, it's interesting being, you know, being a woman in 2019 is, I think, more, you know, a really exciting time in the sense that it feels that there is a palpable shift. But that shift. Yeah, but I still right? get, I still get dick pics. I still get guys being scummy. Of course. You know, women, women, we, we still go through this crap. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, it's better now than it was a hundred years ago. Hell, it's better now than it was 20 years ago. Yeah, or 20 months I mean, ago. But right. I mean, but I wonder for you, and, and I talked a little bit about this with Alison Moyer a, a few years ago mm-hmm. about being Who a I woman. love, by the way. Oh, I love her too. Uh, and she was, and she had a lot to say. She was, she was sort of saying like, you know, being a woman in her 50s in the, in the um, music industry is not easy. And, I, and I'm curious to no, know what your not. take is on that experience for you. Well, here's the freaky thing. I I don't receive a lot of ageism. Now, this is not me talking. This is the opinion of others. I have been told that I look a lot younger than I am, and that could be because I never had a bunch of kids screaming at me. I don't I don't know. It could be genetics. I don't know. But people say I look younger than I am, so I'm like, okay, cool. But whatever, it doesn't matter. If I looked older, I still would give up. Nobody should give up. Listen, there are blues artists who didn't start till they were in their 50s. They were men, but they didn't start. Like T-Model Ford didn't didn't pick up a guitar till he was in his mid-50s. 
God bless him. You know, he's dead now, poor thing. But wow, he had quite a career, you know. But it's it's not so much ageism with me. It's just sexism. It's like, oh, you're a girl? Oh, who writes your music for you? Or you're a recording engineer? I didn't know that girls did that. So for me, it's not the age thing. It's the, it's the you're a chick thing. I don't get the ageism. I, I really don't. Nobody gives me a hard time about my age ever. That's probably because they don't freaking know how old I am unless they go on Wikipedia and have a nice little look. <laughs> right. But again, you know, I'm not saying this to butter my own biscuit. No, no. I'm saying it because this is how society treats me. And um, I'm known for wearing a lot of makeup and wigs and being a little flamboyant. Sometimes, you know, um, and then they compare me. <laughs> you know, it's really funny. Then they compare me to Lady Gaga. But guess what, kids? I've been doing this for a lot longer than Lady Gaga. But I don't. <laughs> I don't dislike her. I actually think you know. I'm going to say something that a lot of alternative music people would probably disagree with. I just got to go off on a quick tangent. And say yeah. that Lady Gaga is damn talented. Um, Stephanie plays a lot of instruments and. She's she's a mega talent. So if anybody gives her any crap, I'm going to fight on her side because she's super talented. And yeah, she's been produced and auto-tuned and all that. But you know what? She still has a lot of talent. And she was out there playing Led Zeppelin covers in bars before she made it. So, but yeah, back to the age thing. I don't get the age thing from people. I get the uh, you're you're a woman. You know, are you are you the singer of a band? You know, are you? Um, you're an engineer. Oh, I didn't know girls could do that. That 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 makes my blood boil. <laughs> that's the worst. That's that's the worst of it. Is you know, oh, you know how to record bands, really? Yeah, I know how to record bands. Yeah. <laughs> it seems oh, so crazy. Sorry to have such a kvetch on you here. You know. No, no, no. This is it's, it's it, this is great. Let me ask you this. Now, I know that maybe I'm wrong, but you are you were born in Rhode Island. Is that correct? Yes, I was born in Providence, Rhode Island, but um, my my mother had been married multiple times. Sorry, Mom. Um, <laughs> not going to hold back here. Um, I was moved around a lot. I have lived in Providence, Rhode Island. Uh, let's see. Um, I've lived in New York City twice. I've lived in Alexandria, Virginia, Washington, D.C., Miami, 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 Derp. Miami, Florida, Delaware, um, just all over the frigging place. And yeah, um, I lived in New York City and then I left New York City and came back to Rhode Island because I couldn't afford to stay there anymore. And then, you know, 9-11 happened and I didn't want to go back. And I went back to play shows, you know, I've been back to play gigs, but I I don't want to live there. Um, I wouldn't mind living in Brooklyn if I could afford it, but... Um, I can't right now. So if I ever make any money, um, there's a chance that I would move back there. But I wouldn't live in Manhattan. Uh, Manhattan has changed drastically. It, it, it used to be a very artistic, interesting place. And now, it, I mean, there's still some music and art there. But most of it moved over the bridge and um, into the boroughs. And now there's a lot of yogurt shops, banks, and cleaners, you know. But yeah, born in Providence. Now I live in Newport, Rhode Island. And I'm here because I can go to Boston. And I, I go to Boston twice a week uh, to rehearse with the other band I'm in. And I'm also a manager. I, uh, yeah, that's another thing I forgot to tell you. I own a management company. I own Vortex Music Management, LLC. I manage other bands and I'm my own manager. 
But this isn't like when you go to court and you represent yourself. It's not like that kind of crazy. (laughs) (laughs) Right. But anyway. Well, um, I just wonder uh, how many hours a night you're sleeping because you're very busy. uh, I work, um, let me see, I work, I would say, 12 to 13 hours a day. And I get between seven and nine hours of sleep a night. Sometimes, though, you know, well, when I was really sick, I wasn't sleeping well. And I had to go see a doctor about that. But that's because, you know, I got freaked out because I almost died in my bed. Well, yeah. The the second time. Oh, the second time. That was the second incident. Right. So, yeah, bedtime is not so fun for me, as they say. It's a little triggering. Um. So, yeah, I guess right now I would say, knock on wood, I've been getting enough sleep. But I don't really have a social life. All I do is sleep, eat, work. You know, I go to rehearsal. I work and work and work and work some more. And that's okay. I'm okay with it. It's a good distraction. But, you know, it's when I don't have things to do that I start to get into my own head and get nervous. Right, right. So the busier mm-hmm. you are, the the more efficient you are and the more the less time you have to dwell on things. Yes. Yes, I don't have as many intrusive thoughts if I have things to do. Right. So, you know, if it's a slow night or I'm not feeling well, then, you know, my nervous condition acts up. Yeah. You know, it sounds to me like you are at your like your peak powers, like you're kind of crushing it now. Like now everything's firing. It sounds like things are good. Well, to again, to be perfectly honest, I think, well, I think I was doing a little better last year. Um, I wouldn't say I'm at peak, but I'd say I'm about at 75%. I'm operating at 70, 75% efficiency at the moment. Um, yeah. I mean, I do a lot of driving. Um, and that can wear me down a little bit. Um, you know, I sit in a lot of traffic, Boston has traffic like, you know, like you were went through today and uh, that's, you know, something I'm getting used to. Um, I'm going to just be blunt here and speak out for all of the people who are in my shoes. I do take medication for my PTSD. I am not ashamed to say that I do. Does it help? I don't take a, uh, it, it helps about 60 percent okay um it's not you know it doesn't completely slam it down but it helps um at first when i went on medication i was i had a lot of medication shame i felt ashamed to be on it um i was shamed for being on it by some folks um but i've learned to accept it i'm not going to beat myself up and i am proud to say that I take CBD oil. I take that every day when I wake up and it is, I'm so thankful that it is legal and readily available. Um, I'm a, I'm one of those normal people. I am a pro marijuana person. 101%. It helps people. I, I know the kind, you know, I'm just, I'm so pro pot and I, I want people to be well. You know, I want people to be happy and well. Um, yeah, it's it's really important. I, I really think that plant is uh, an environmental lifesaver, and I think it saves people's lives. 
and just like anything else, you know, people can abuse it, you know, just like alcohol. But I mean, if anybody points a finger at you for smoking marijuana when they're, you know, buying copious amounts of alcohol, they're a hypocrite. It's ridiculous. I would like to see it become uh, legal nationwide. Um, I'm not a big stoner, but do I imbibe once in a while? You bet I do. When when the shit hits the fan, of course I do. But I take CBD uh, with my medication. It doesn't it doesn't hurt me. It helps me a lot, a whole lot. Um, so there's that. But I, you know, I, thankfully I live right next to a state where marijuana is legal. Uh-huh. I live next to Massachusetts, but right? it's medically legal in Rhode Island, but it's fully legal for recreational use in Massachusetts. Thank God, as they say. So again, not a big pothead, but very thankful for that and extremely thankful for the CBD. And um, if anyone comes to me and says, oh, my nerves are really bad and I'm afraid to take medication. Is there anything you would recommend? I would say, yeah, CBD oil. It's, It's a miracle. It's an absolute miracle. Yeah, I'm hearing a lot of really good things about it. A lot of people are using it and it and it's having some great mm-hmm. results. Now, switching gears a little bit, I know the new EP 6 is out now. Uh is there a full-length album in the works? Well, you know, I'd like to release a full-length album, but the truth of the matter is the way things are going and I hate to say this, but Left Sets was was right in my opinion. Um I think the album format is dying out. I think the only people who can put out albums are mainstream top 40 artists because they're guaranteed to get the listens. When you're an independent artist who's unsigned, and by the way, I was courted by a couple of record labels and one of them was a major label, but there was a mess up, but that's, that's another story for another day. Um, well, the person who was going to sign me was, was laid off. Um, at the record label, but then there were indie labels that were going to sign me, but it wasn't any better than what I was getting through CD Baby, so I decided to stay independent. But so, yeah, the album format, I think, I mean, it's lovely if you have the listeners, if you have the listenership to to put it out there, but, you know, a lot of people these days don't really want to listen to full albums, unfortunately. The average listener does not give a flying crap about albums and I'm talking from statistics here I'm talking from Spotify statistics and other statistics and by the way I recently closed my Bandcamp account because nobody was buying my music they're streaming it um, since streaming took over it's just it's not worth it for me to put out a full-length album now if I get signed yeah I would do it of course or if I get more publicity and I start to get more listeners yeah I'd consider it but for now no, I'm not going to do it. I'm going to release singles and EPs because that's what gets the most attention when you're an independent artist. And I also recommend that to all of the bands uh, that I work with. You know, I have one band that I work with, Detroit Rebellion. I manage them, and they're uh, a garage blues act, and they're fen- they're phenomenal. And they uh, put out full, out full albums, excuse me, but they were signed to Bowdoin Kuma Records, but their contract is up now. So I'm going to talk about that with them. But yeah, as far as I'm concerned, I, the only way I'll put out a full album is if I get signed to a label. I get it. Um, yeah. Jen Vicks, I like you. And I like, I like that you're so candid about what you've gone through. And, and I, 
I can't really stress enough how important it is for our audience to hear you talk about this because you're helping people. People need to hear this. Thank you. And, and I appreciate you doing that. I, I thank you very much for that. And I thank you for taking the time to talk with me. And I'm sorry if I talked to your head off. No. I've just been through an awful lot of stuff, you know? No, this is this is what we do here on this show and that – you know, I could go through your Wikipedia page, but there's no point doing that. I want to know what's happening right this second. Well, that's what's happening right this second. <laughs> yeah, um, it's a lot, you know. It, yeah, but lot. but you know, the cool thing is, is that, like I was saying, is that you're a survivor and you're strong as hell and you're here. And I'm so grateful that you are because I love your music and I think you're the best. Thank you very much. You're very kind to say that to me. I really appreciate it. Jen Vicks is not having it. Uh, but you know what you should have? Jen Vicks's music should be in your life. Go to jenvicks.band. That's her website. Two N's, one X. Go there and all your Jen Vicks questions will be answered. You can buy her new EP6. Find out uh, new information about her as it comes in. As for me, well, Alex Green Online will do the trick. Follow me on Twitter at Embers Editor. Follow me on Instagram, Embers Podcast. You can email me, editor at StereoEmbersMagazine.com. Just look at how accessible I am. Now, our podcast is accessible as well. You can find us on Spotify, Last.fm, Google Play, Stitcher, iTunes, wherever you get podcasts, you're going to find Stereo Embers, the podcast. So subscribe, leave a rating, a nice comment. You know how it works, Yelp Nation, so work it. Let's close the show off with the new single from Jen Vix. This is Ride. Enjoy it, and I will see you next week on Stereo Embers, the podcast, only right here on Bombshell Radio. Let's go.